Well, the Premier League season is all done and over, but we've still got the FA Cup final, Champions League and Europa League to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. And with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results and players to score a number of goals and other things to create your own personalised bet. If you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Everton Football Club podcast for The Athletic. I'm Greg O'Keefe and as usual I'm joined by my colleague Patrick Boyland and we've got, um, I suppose, a bit of a season finale for you. I think probably a farewell to a season that most Blues would acknowledge has been uh, a mixed one and maybe not one that we're too devastated to uh, to wave farewell to. More of that later when we run through our season review. But on the flip side, someone that we are, I would say, uh, if not devastated, certainly saddened to to be saying goodbye to. And it's Leighton Baines, who in the end decided on Sunday after the game to call it a day. Um, you might have read Paddy and I tweets or uh, a Q&A last week. And we did sort of fear at that point that that was the way the wind was blowing. Not a straightforward decision for him uh, in the least. And actually... Uh, in January, back in January, December, it, the signs were pointing that the noises from people behind the scenes were that they, they everyone felt confident Leighton was going to do one more year. But as we all know, a lot has changed since then. So um, we we said goodbye to the naughtiest left back that, uh, and probably in fairness, the best left back I've ever seen for Everton. Maybe Blues of an older stripe might disagree when you start talking about possibly Pafand and Howe, and then if you go even further back, Ray Wilson. But I'm pretty sure, Pad, that he is certainly the best left back you've watched in an Everton shirt. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just I was just thinking about that, and obviously, I'm I'm a little bit younger than you, so the left backs I've seen and probably not as good as the ones that you've seen <laughs> in, in an Everton jersey. Um, he's comfortably the best left back I've seen in my 28 years <laughs> watching Everton Football Club. He's probably one of the only left backs you've seen since you've been. You know, <laughs> probably one of the only ones as well. Yeah, so it's David Unsworth, Alessandro Pistoni who yeah. doesn't get a mention in, in this particular conversation, I don't think, for kind of top Everton left-backs I've seen. And Michael <laughs> Ball. Uh, and I really liked Michael Ball as a kid. I, I, I thought he was a, a fantastic player who could yeah, play yeah. centre-back as well. Um, had a bit of physicality about him, obviously taller than Leighton as well. Yeah. Um, and could also strike a, a set-piece and a dead ball pretty well. So I think it was Ball and then for, for a long time, then obviously Leighton. Um, who was not only, I think, the best left-back I've seen in Everton jersey, but one of the best left-backs I've seen uh, in my years watching the Premier League. One of the best left-backs possibly across Europe for a spell, uh, wanted by Manchester United, wanted by Bayern Munich. For varying reasons, those deals didn't come off. And obviously their loss was very much Everton's gain because Everton have had a magnificent servant over the years. A player who I think is... He's probably distinguished himself more than anybody else in my time watching Everton Football Club as a whole. And of course, you've had Lukaku scoring loads of goals, coming very close to being top scorer in the Premier League. And 
and not particularly creative Everton side in his final yep. season. Yeah, but did really well that season. For sheer consistency, for hitting those levels year after year after year, for yeah, dedicating it. himself to the cause, for staying at, at Goodison maybe when he could have left, I think it has to be Leighton Bain. So, yes, really sad to see, see him leave. Uh, I, I still think, and obviously Carlo Ancelotti still thought, that Leighton could offer something to Everton in a role behind Luca Dean. Um, next season uh, and that was very much the intention I think all and sundry attempted to convince Leighton that he should stay on for one final year one final swan yeah. song but you mentioned there that the wind started blowing in a different direction um, and it's quite interesting we, when we looked at this back in, in January I think there was confidence almost maybe mm. I wouldn't say complacency because I don't think that is fully the right word there was almost confidence. It was almost like Leighton Baines will sign for Everton if a deal's put in front of him. That's just what Leighton Baines does. Um, yeah. And he'd, he'd had similar thoughts in his head the year before, but had obviously stayed on for this season. And then as, as time ticked away, um, the noise has started to change. And we, we both, kind of behind the scenes, wondered about that, didn't we? We both spoke about it. I said, is it? Is, is, is this about to happen? Is he is he about to leave? It's not about money. It's not about contract length. It, obviously, given he's retired, it wasn't about wanting to go to MLS or kind of decent championship Premier League side where he could be first choice. This was purely about Leighton and whether he wanted to continue, whether he had it, he felt he had it in himself, emotionally, mentally, physically, to to continue as a, as an Everton player, as a Premier League player. Maybe this is a little bit flippant, but. He'd obviously made his decision before Bournemouth. Imagine he had that Bournemouth performance was enough to draw anyone and push anyone into early retirement, given <laughs> given how poor they um, Everton how poor Everton were on the day. Um, and obviously, we we were only notified formally of the decision for him to retire shortly after the final whistle. But the telltale signs were there for a period in private, and certainly on the day they were there as well. So anybody at Goodison would have seen Leighton's family in the main stand. They were allowed to attend. Um, and then um, for supporters watching the game, um, obviously on the TVs or, or wherever else, they will have seen Leighton kind of waving farewell to um, his, his family after the game. They'll have seen Luca yeah. Dean give him a big hug when he um Yeah, Luca Dean, that was quite pointed when he sort of made it. Made, it was an unusual sort of... Quick elbow tap, whatever it was, was no. it? It was it was different from that. No, and I, I thought it was quite poignant as well because obviously Luca Dean is the man that has replaced Leighton Baines, and certainly in the, the short and mid term will be the one you would you would assume will be asked to kind of carry on that legacy. I actually think on a separate point, Luca is doing that very well at this moment in time, and is is reaching very high levels in his own performance. But, yeah, poignant moments, symbolic moments as, as he gives Leighton a big hug as he comes onto the pitch. I think Moise Keane goes over and gives him a fist bump kind of thing. I don't even know what you'd call it. And then uh, Gilfie obviously hands Leighton the, the captain's armband for one final time. So if, if he had doubts before that point as to what was about to happen, then I think you were left in no uncertain terms there. So I guess all that's left is for us to kind of salute his Everton legacy. Um, he's been a magnificent player. Aside from Seamus and probably Duncan, in my time watching Everton, also the player that has kind of forged the most legitimate connection, the strongest connection with fans. 
and maybe I'm leaving out a few people there and I'm sorry if I have but they're the ones off the top of my head that spring to mind um it, it feels and we, we finished on this in our in the piece the, the long piece we wrote about the decision and Leighton's legacy on the site earlier this week it feels as though Everton is a little bit less like Everton than it was last week <laughs> if that makes sense yeah here I think with Baines as well you know you can't underestimate the, the, the way football is changing in this short term because the coronavirus and the subsequent you know changes to society and I wonder if he's just thought about next season looked at it and thought you know large part of the season might be similar if if not empty stadiums I mean certainly not a, a packed out Goodison Park um, and that all feeds into the picture that, that we do, do read the piece we've done it on the site because it kind of gives you more insight than I suppose we've got time to give you in the pod about maybe what Leighton was thinking. We've spoken to people who are you know, familiar with how he made his decision. And I think ultimately, Pad, there was this line about he just kind of felt emotionally ready to retire. I think the, the travel, the hamster wheel of professional football, all that, keeping himself in, in, in the right physical uh, condition, which he obviously clearly has done till the last. You only have to look at that tackle on Sunday and then the performances <laughs> when we've yeah. called on him this season just gone. When at times his form has been, I would say, challenging to start over over Luca Dean, so he he's, he's not been phoning it in this season in any way. But we get a feeling that we that he's looked at it and gone, you know what? I, it's my heart's not in it to do it again. And rather than you know sort of pinching other years' money from the club, he's decided to be authentic, which is pretty much how we all think of Leighton Baines. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. <laughs> I think whoever wrote that sentence deserves a pay rise, really. At Manscaped, they've just launched in the UK, and they say, and probably rightly so, we've gone years without using the right tools for the job in this country. So you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. Nobody wants a manscaping accident. And the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. Killing two birds with one stone. I like it. We've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to the podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping right now by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. And uh, yeah, happy shaving. We've all got you know, different memories of him, and again, you know, this could be a, a bumper Leighton Baines podcast series if we wanted to make it. But what memories stand out? I'll go first, and um, for me, well, it's not a goal, but uh, and there's so many amazing goals. I, I saw a, someone posted on Twitter free, the free kick he scored against. I want to say Newcastle. Is it the one where he's? Really far out and just thumped yeah, the ball as hard the as he possibly could. It yeah, was that, an amazing incredible goal. strike. I mean, just so powerful, so accurate. But it's also against Newcastle. But my favourite memory of him was that cameo in centre midfield because it just showed for me. Like I know it was never repeated, and I know it wasn't something that probably caused much attention anywhere but Everton. But I remember just thinking, this this guy can do anything. You know, he's a career left fullback. He's been played in a holding midfield role by by his manager for necessity, and for me, he looked absolutely brilliant there. Um, and I always kind of hoped that we might see it again. Listen, subsequent managers who've forgotten more about football, I should say, than I than I know, have maybe thought about it and said that's not his role. But um, I don't know. 
you look at Philip Lahm, I would see him and Leighton Baines are cut from the same cloth. So I loved watching that. And just, yeah, just that, all these the little quirky, iconic things about Baines that made him so special. You know, his music blog on the Everton website for a while. Um, the fact that he's, he's good pals with uh, Alex Turner and the Arctic Monkeys and, you know, the... <laughs> Just, yeah, like like I say, just uh, he's not your average footballer. But sorry, I've rambled there. So what's your favourite Baines moments, Pat? Oh, there are just so, so many. I'll mainly try and keep these to things and games and, and goals. The the Newcastle goal that we've spoken about there at St. James's Park. And I remember reading a, a kind of a, a look back on that moment. And that all stems from Leighton feeling slightly annoyed that nobody has wandered over to that side of the pitch to take a, a free kick and curl the ball into the back post for, for Everton's <laughs> attackers and, and kind of bigger defenders to uh, try and latch onto. Um, and I think he just got so, so annoyed that it was like, right, it's going to have to be me. You know what? I'm a little bit annoyed, so I'm just going to hit the ball as hard as possible and see where <laughs> it ends up. Um, but the anybody that's tried to score that goal themselves will themselves will know just how difficult it is to put that amount of power on the ball but also control it drive the ball drill it in that way without just completely losing control um and he obviously mastered that down to a t flew into the top corner of the net that was an amazing amazing goal i think the thing that sums up Leighton more than anything for me i think he was just a really technical technically proficient footballer uh, he did a lot of the, the basics of football well and his passing, his crossing, his shooting was always really quite crisp. So the one I always look back on more than anything else is an indicator of his quality um, and also just for the kind of the sheer limbs in the away end was the game against West Ham in 13-14 uh, under Roberto Martinez where he scores his first free kick to Yossi Jaskalainen's right at Upton Park, I believe. Not long after, Everton get another free kick. And again, Leighton Bain steps up. This one, I think, is slightly closer. It's in a different position. It's slightly to the right of the uh, the penalty area. And this time he goes to the other corner and uh, puts it in off the post. And I suppose for, for fans of an older vintage, let's say, uh, it will have conjured memories of Kevin Sheedy. And I know they are slightly different insofar as Leighton scored two goals and Sheedy only got one. But the twice taken free kick that Sheedy scored where he um, he obviously put it in first time, the referee pulled it back and then he did it again. Um, you've, got, you've got to be supremely gifted. You've got to be a supremely gifted technician of a football to, to, to do it once, but to do it twice, I, I think shows just how um, talented Leighton was from those positions. Weirdly, though, he never scored a free kick at Goodison Park, I believe, which is which is bizarre <laughs> when you think about yeah. how good he was at those for a period. Uh, scored away at Upton Park, scored really good one at Spurs once, I remember. Um, the Chelsea goal sticks in my mind, the one at Stamford Bridge where it's the last minute of extra time and it looks like Everton are heading out. And he steps up and puts the ball into the top corner again, uh, past Petr Cech, I think it was. Those really funny images of Bill Kenwright in the uh, director's box at Stamford Bridge, kind of fist-pumping his way through the celebration. Everton obviously went on to win the game, 
Um, and Leighton actually missed a penalty. Um, it was saved. Um, but it was, that was just, it was a really good day. It was a day when it looked like everything was possible. And then I think Everton went on to lose in the next round to probably Reading at home. So <laughs> uh, it's kind of no change there. Then they, they, they get us all excited and expectant and, and something like that happened. So there were just, there were so many, like like you say, there were so many Leighton Baines moments there. I just think it's fair to say he wasn't your quintessential footballer. He wasn't. I think quite a lot of things are manicured these days. Quite often you don't really get to see yeah. behind the curtain. You don't get to see what players are really interested in, what they do away from the field. And Leighton has obviously been, while he's kept himself to himself, you, you, everybody knows of his love of music. He's obviously been big into his photography and, and meditation and, and stuff like that. So he will walk away from football. He'll take time to ponder his, his next steps, as we've said. But football wasn't his everything, even though he gave everything to Everton. So I'm, I'm sure he'll, he'll enjoy his retirement and he'll have loads of interesting things planned that we'll hear about in, in due course. Yeah, no, I like that football wasn't his everything, but he, he did indeed give everything to Everton. So a fitting tribute to, to Leighton Baines' Everton career there. And let's hope that he can uh, return in some capacity to the club. And whatever that is, that'll be interesting too. And we, we talk about that in the piece. So yeah, definitely give that a read. Uh, if you haven't got your, your later Baines fix, believe me, next season when he's not on the squad sheet and he's not in and around the club, it'll hit home, I think. So speaking about next season, let's... Before we talk about that, we will talk about the potential uh, transfer efforts. We'll, uh, we'll we'll just talk about the season review that I mentioned at the top of the show that Paddy and I have done. Again, it's on it's on the app, it's on the site, so do have a look. But we'll just pick we'll pick a few a few of the different moments, and uh, <laughs> maybe it says the type of season we've had. But my my mind just keeps going to the funnier ones, and I can't yeah. uh, I can't look beyond Paddy's favourite quotes of the season. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you... Um, well, go on, Paddy. Tell us about Yerry Mina. <laughs> I, I thought that's the way we were going with this. Yeah, like sorry. You, <laughs> when when um, when we were writing this, I think I was looking for a bit of solace. I was looking for interesting and weird and wacky things. And it's been it's been a poor season by Everton standard in some ways, but some of the things that happened are kind of very very funny. So I loved Jabril Sadibi. Forgetting his shin pads, I certainly loved it a lot more than Carlo, Anc- Carlo Ancelotti mm, yeah. um, did at the time. Um, I, I can't imagine what a guy of Carlo's status in the game must have made of that particular incident, uh, but he did not look too impressed on the sidelines. And often he's he's worn that same look quite a lot this season as Everton have progressed and then regressed and, and slumped uh, in performances and in the table. But the yeah, the one that you're on about, Greg, is is obviously the um, Yerry Mina loves Jam Roly Poly line that I got back in. It will be in the end of November, early December now, when I spoke to Everton's um, head of nutrition, Lloyd Parker, and Everton's executive first team head chef, Tom Kenton. We did a big piece for for those who weren't subscribers or at that time or hadn't read the piece on how a Premier League side specifically Everton, prepares for that really grueling, intense run of games in February, um, in February, in, in December, sorry. Um, so loads of games, short space of time. What do they do logistically? How do they keep players fit or try to keep players fit in Everton's case? Not always the easiest thing for, for Everton to do. 
um, how do they do things from a um, nutrition, hygiene, um, food point of view. All these things were, were, were kind of discussed with, with people at the club um, and we were given a really good glimpse uh, as to the plans for December. Lloyd, Everton's head of nutrition, spoke about how they give players after games to aid recovery, high carbo desserts. And one of those was jam roly poly. Obviously, I feel that's quintessentially English. Is is jam roly poly actually quintessentially English, or have I just made that up? I don't, no, I think I don't, it is. I, I think it know. is. I don't know of any other. Than I, I think it's I just, an English dish. Yeah. I, I just I just associate all those. I, I call them puddings rather than desserts. Yeah, it's a pudding, like, isn't it? Apple sort of crumble. They, they normally have with cust. You normally have them with custard, although not exclusively with custard. Crumbles and apple pies and all those kind of things. Maybe not exclusively British. Maybe not exclusively English. Um, but um, yeah, the, the kinds of things we have here when it's cold and about five degrees and and rainy outside. Uh, so yeah, they Yeri Mina for whatever reason developed a big love of jam roly poly. And the next week when it was not on the menu. He um, he asked <laughs> Everton's um, staff in the canteen where my friend where have, where has the jam roly poly gone and I just thought that was fantastic. It it provides the kind of little glimpses of kind of behind the scenes insight into character that, as I mentioned earlier, we you sometimes struggle to get in the modern day, given that things are so kind of managed and manicured, as we were saying. Um, and it prompted so many great, funny tweets. I actually included, when, I, when we sent this over, I actually included three or four that I really liked. Um, one was an image of Jose Mourinho um, throwing his water bottle on the floor and running after, presumably, a referee to, to moan, as, as Jose obviously always does, um, with the caption, Mina, when the jam roly-poly is served at lunchtime, which, uh, which is great. Um, there was also one... I think it was from Everton News Feed, the Toffee Blues, which was a quote tweet of my article with um, we all need to chip in and get a my friend where's the roly poly gone banner for Yeri. Uh, that would be great. I'd <laughs> absolutely love to see that. Uh, just loads of great tweets about it. And um, yeah, I had a really good laugh with that one. And as you go through the rest of these moments, I mean, You've got ridiculous goals that the club conceded. I mean, that was a that was a tough task in itself. We were given a list of questions to answer, and one of them was the worst goal Everton conceded. And I guess you can interpret that in a number of different ways, but I chose to interpret that as kind of the most comical goal Everton conceded. Mason Holgate clearing the ball against Kelechi Iheanacho's face, and then the ball somehow managing to rebound past Jordan Pickford, who for some reason has turned the other way. To go into the net at the park end when Everton are 2 0 up and coasting against Leicester at the start of July, I think it was. That takes some beating for an Everton moment. It felt like the kind of goal Everton, only Everton, concede. Harry sponsors Glad Tidings, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. As a listener of this podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel. And travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash glad tidings right now. 
That's harrys.com forward slash glad tidings. Hard enough to get your Harry's out in order to uh, get yourself a shave for the next time we get to Goodison. You know, we, these lockdown beards can't uh, can't be gracing the press room next time we get in there. <laughs> I was thinking, who's the character in The Hangover with the really long beard? <laughs> I basically, Alan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out, Alan. I'm going to come out of lockdown looking like Alan. Yeah. Um, oh, God, and I, I, I say all. that t- tongue-in-cheek because actually, I'm, as I mentioned on last week's show, I'm not particularly great at, at growing a beard, but... Um, yeah, it, it 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 feels like a long time since we've been to Goodison any in any case, and and maybe that's about to change. And obviously, we get quite a lot of those if you think back to that um, awful Anfield derby in which Origi scored the last minute goal. We won't we won't mention anything else about that. <laughs> but um, just just these these goals that seemingly only Everton concede, and then I think they followed it up early the next week, given how quickly the games were coming, with a, a goal for Spurs in which. Giovanni Lo Celso shoots towards the corner flag seemingly and it manages to hit Michael Keane who's running the other way back towards goal and wrong foot Jordan Pickford again goals that seemingly only Everton concede so there's just so much of that in this and, and I guess that's what has made this if not well certainly not an enjoyable season in, as a whole um, but an interesting one if, if you want to if you want to be um, if you want to be diplomatic an interesting season I mean what what were your Highlights not only when writing this piece, but also from the season and, and things you look back on now and you, you think you'll remember for some time. I think that first press conference when you and I went to Goodison Park to sort of see Carlo Ancelotti unveiled as the Everton manager, I still find it a little bit... We're comfortably uh, across the fact that he's here and he's here for a couple of seasons at least. And you know, we've seen some of the good stuff that he brings. Um, but I just at the time, I just felt like um, really significant and, and definitive news for Everton, arguably, certainly in my lifetime, and, and arguably in the club's modern history, the, the sort of mo- biggest manager they've attracted, certainly the most successful manager they've, they've ever had elsewhere, I mean, uh, the best CV, I should say. Just just on that, on that, Greg, it was a kind of pinch-yourself moment. I don't know if you got this as well, but we obviously made our way separately to, um, to Goodison that day. Yeah. And I just remember on the journey thinking, I'm going to see... Carlo Ancelotti unveiled as the Everton manager and I think barely 18, 24 months ago it was Sam Allardyce <laughs> um, just really bizarre um, but exciting as well um, and I suppose in journalism you're meant to stay calm you're meant to be as neutral as possible even if obviously the, the function of the athletic is, is slightly different to other um outlets newspapers in particular so that was that was just a, a pinch yourself moment as as i say i loved the bit after the main press conference so the main press conference is the bit that everybody gets to see is broadcast out on youtube on twitter on periscope um will be replayed time and time again on premier league tv and uh, everton's official channels and sky sports all those kinds of places what you see when you've got the manager sat at the top table with Everton's head of comms and normally a key figure from the board. I think it was it Denise that day, Denise Barrett-Baxendale. And Marcel and she was, Brands, yeah. She was there, Marcel was there. A couple of funny moments from that day, which I'd almost forgotten about until you brought it up. When we made our way out onto the pitch for photographs. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. And I don't mean we were in the photographs there because nobody would want me in a photograph <laughs> with Carlo <laughs> Ancelotti. Um, but we're on the we're on the pitch, and I mean just on the pitch. Uh, and Marcel walks past and goes, "Lads, 
can we all get off the pitch, please? <laughs> yes. Yes, okay, Marcel. And it was like a schoolmaster telling off kind of the naughty children in the, in the yeah. classroom and said with that kind of tone as well. So that was, that amused me as a kind of a, attention to detail from Marcel. I don't want this pitch getting scuffed up. This is where Luca Dean is going to be bombarding down the wing next week. Um, and we need it to be as, as, as pristine as possible for him. Uh, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, obviously. And then the next part of the day, we, we obviously all had separate interviews with Carlo and met him very briefly. And he comes into our room in the, in the main stand and he says hello to all of us. He's introduced by Everton's head of media. This is this is Greg and this is Paddy. They they cover Everton for, for the Athletic. This is so-and-so. He covers it for, I don't know, let's say the Daily Mirror off the top of my head, although although it wasn't. And um, his first question, as, as you'll remember, is um, who supports Everton then? <laughs> and there's, kind of, there's this awkward silence in the room as everyone sizes up what they should do. Um, everybody knows, I think, who me and you support by now. But some of those journalists in the room will have wanted to continue to appear impartial, to not give much away. Uh, and very, very, very slowly, Everton's head of media kind of goes, well, he supports, I don't know, Leicester City and she supports Wolverhampton Wanderers and then comes to us and he's like, oh, these two Evertonians. And you can just see him kind of sizing us all up, Carlo. Um, that it, was, it was almost like, oh, good, well done. And I think, was there a comment about hopefully nobody supports Liverpool? Feel, yes, I feel like Liverpool yeah. <laughs> were mentioned as well. I think maybe he was aware of the allegiance of uh, some of the uh, <laughs> this football journalists on the on the Merseyside scene, shall we say? Yeah, and quite a lot yeah, of well, Liverpool fans. That, that's it. Yeah. So obviously he was he was sizing us all up, and he wanted to know who was a Liverpool fan, who who was kind of who was who were the Everton fans, the, the, the tribal Everton fans among among us all. So they they were good moments, um, and it was a surreal day. In many ways, um, yeah, I, I look back on that as well. But I've, I've obviously interrupted you there, and you've only mentioned one thing. So I'm sure, I'm sure there are other things as well that you would be interested in discussing. There are there, there are plenty, um, and as I said earlier, you can see all about those on the piece, which is on the site. So before we wrap up, we'll just briefly talk about transfers. Um, now, obviously, anyone who's watched Everton this season, as we've hinted at repeatedly through this episode, knows that we need we need new players. Um, but I think you'll also, if you've read our stuff and, you know, basically um, been alive the last few few months, you'll realise that the, the world's changed, the transfer market will have changed and the chances of Everton going for various reasons and, and spending huge amounts of money on four or five players are probably slim to nothing. But they do need players, a central midfielder, sort of right-sided where winger is on the list, a centre-back, and I suppose now as well, say like chances of four or five players but you never know because now they need a standing left back too so in terms of a couple of those roles pad they've been linked with Branislav Ivanovic who's obviously at Zenit he's captaining them um, people don't need to be prompted of, of how he good he was at Chelsea partly under Ancelotti but we don't think there's legs in that one do we no we don't and I have to be honest I was really surprised when I saw that rumour emerge on Twitter, and I think it, it's from the Serbian press, we believe. And no, I just, it, it does not strike me as a logical Everton transfer. He's not in the usual age bracket that Marcel Brands in particular looks for. 
And although that's not exclusive, they will sign older players at, at, at times if they feel that they need extra experience. Although that's it, it's not exclusively the case, um, you would be very surprised if they decided to bring in somebody like Ivanovic, who is still on big money, back to Everton at his age with no resale value. I just the days of Everton making those kind of signings, yeah. you would hope, are over. It just did not seem logical. And then when we checked it out, um, what came back in private was that it didn't look like there were any legs in it at all. In fact, it was kind of rubbish to think a little bit, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, there's very, very little legs in that one, I have to be honest. I don't really want to see Everton recruit that kind of player over the over the summer. I think they need to be much smarter about what they do and they need to find players that they can make and develop with the help of Ancelotti into top um six and potentially top four players yeah no, absolutely and I think as well predictably almost the Zaha rumours have resurfaced haven't they I just I get what he adds to the squad if, if they get him I, I you know, get why he's an exciting player who's again in, in a struggle inside you know been consistently one of their better players but the sort of money they're talking about Zaha just doesn't seem practical or, or doable in this window for me no and you only have to look back to the general meeting in January where Marcel Brands says that it was unrealistic at the time. Are Crystal Palace going to have changed their valuation of their star player? I'd argue not substantially. That's not to say Everton don't like the player. We know that he's got um, his admirers at Everton. We also know, by the way, that Marco Silva was one of those admirers last summer, so he's lost one of them. Um, but there are other people at Everton that like him, including Farhad Mashiri. He is a very good player, obviously, Wilfred Zaha, and he would improve Everton. If, I think from our indications, what we've been told is that while Everton harbours some interest in him, and I, I stress the word some there, I'm not saying that he's a top, top target, while they harbour some interest, um, we've been told that at this stage, i.e. the 30th of July 2020, Wilfred Zaha, it is unlikely that Wilfred Zaha will be an Everton player next season. And I just think there are a range of impediments from transfer fee to wages to potential other interest in Wilfred Zaha. He's obviously, he wanted to leave last summer and he think we're told he would have come to Everton, but didn't get that move. And moved on from his agent at a, at a high-profile London agency. He moved on from his agent and went to the, the kind of the super agent. I, I hate that term, but the super agent, Pini Zahavi, who also deals with Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, by the way. That's basically, it, 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 this is my opinion, and it's not fact, but my opinion is that that's to engineer a move away, that he's 27 now, I think, and he'll look at his future and he'll want to see more than Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace means a lot to him, but it's not going to be a case of getting Champions League football there. It's probably not even a case of getting Europa League football there. And certainly trophies seem a distant prospect. Famous last words from me here, by the way. So lump all your money on Palace to win the FA Cup next season. But um, <laughs> given my track record. But yeah, in, in general, you, you don't lump in Palace as a, with, with those kind of clubs that are ready to, to push on and, and, and win silverware. So Zaha, I think, is at a crucial point in his career. 27, 28, you look at that and you think you've probably got one big move left in you. 
and there'll be clubs sizing him up. Um, my thought has always been that he's wanted London clubs. He's wanted, after the failed move at Manchester United, he's wanted preferably Arsenal, who were obviously in, in for him until Pepe, Nicolas Pepe, went there last summer. Chelsea were rumoured at the time, although I'm pretty sure that that's probably not as tangible now, um, given Chelsea's expenditure so far this summer. So there are just there are just loads and loads of question marks over this, and beyond the question marks, just loads of things that make you think it is unlikely. And when we've asked people that question, we've been told at this stage it is unlikely. So Everton do want a winger. I, I don't think that's <laughs> I don't think that's a secret. Everton wants a winger. They want a central midfielder. They want a left-sided centre-back. We've well, we've been reporting on Hoiberg since May, saying that it was more likely he went to Tottenham, though. We've reported on Gabriel from a similar time, and probably before, in truth. Um, that was obviously close at one point. So now, but not completely dead. I think he's got to make a decision pretty soon on his on his future with, with club circling, and it looks like he'll leave Lille. Um, and they're the priorities. You, you might need to dip... Given Baines, you might need to, and, and the situation over him, you might need to dip into cover at left back. Niels and Kunku, who they signed from Marseille, has not made a professional, well, a senior professional appearance for a first team. So he's going to take time to progress. On the other side, Jabril Sadibi's obviously gone back to Monaco. Uh, after, after the expiration of his loan, Seamus Coleman's getting on. What happens with John Joe Kenny? So there are issues for Everton to resolve. I just think that, let, let's imagine, and I'm, I'm not saying this is the case at all, but let's just say, hypothetically, Everton had a budget of £50 million. Would you allocate most of that budget to signing a wide player? And would you allocate that budget to Wilfred Zaha? I probably wouldn't. I would look at my priority, as I think anybody that has read the site over the last year will know would be central midfield. And that was the same on the first day I joined the Athletic, and it's probably still the case now. Central midfield, at least one, probably two, depending on how Gabamin and Delph recover. If those two do recover and manage to get themselves fully fit for regular games, then perhaps one, and we move on and look elsewhere. I don't know about you, though. I I, I don't know. Are you thinking along the same lines? I, I just... I just think we have to go all out for that central midfield. It seems so so crucial to get more legs in the engine room. Yeah, for me, it doesn't make sense to spend big on on the on the well to spend your biggest chunk of of what you're able to spend on the wide player. To be honest, I'm, I'm with you. I think that needs to go on the central midfield. That would make all the difference to Everton. Um, well, I hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, I know you probably all have your views on on the uh, on who should come and who should go. Obviously, Marcel Brands, as ever, is tasked with getting some players off the wage bill too. Um, and there might be some, maybe some big names joining that list. Of course, there's the futures of John Joe Kenny and uh, Tom Davis, whether or not Kenny comes back and deputises for Seamus, or whether Tom Davis is considered for loan or just kept right in the mix for the central midfield roles next season. We will see. And of course, we'll be back to podcast about it throughout the close season and ahead of the, the, the new campaign. So thank you very much for listening. Cheers for your all your support for us this season. I know Paddy and I have, yeah. have um, been very grateful for all the, the kind comments and interactions and encouragement. Let's do it all again next season.
Well, look, as you'd expect, most of the listeners to this show live in Liverpool. So if you own a business in the city, what better way to promote it? Our listeners are loyal and engaged, just like you. So get in touch, sponsor our podcast, and give your business a boost. To advertise on this very show, go to www.theathletic.com podcast ads uk that's theathletic.com podcast ads ads uk all one word you can fill out a very simple form and tell us exactly how much you're willing to spend promoting your business we'll be straight back in touch and you could soon be sponsoring your favorite podcast simple as that so any merseyside liverpool businesses do give it a go go to www.theathletic.com forward slash podcast ads uk